Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you, Kelly. Danielle's my wife. <laughs> if you didn't know that. Any of you can believe that. All right. Mark chapter 10 this morning. We've got some, uh, some ground to cover here. But um, Mark chapter 10, if you could turn there with me in your Bible. I know there's some Sunday school teachers out there who are just chomping at the bit this morning, waiting for me to squirm up here at this passage that we're talking about. They were really excited. I heard from one or two two of the Sunday school teachers this week. If you don't know, we are uh, coordinating right now our Sunday school material with what we're teaching or what we're preaching in the morning service. And I heard from one or two this week that were like, what are you doing? (laughs) What in the world? And, uh, of course, I, I, I was planning to mention this, but I'll, I'll mention it now. Um, you know, we, we, we actually talked this morning in our in, in an introduction to Harvest class, intro class, about uh, the fact that we, we primarily do expository, verse-by-verse preaching here. And, and of course, um, you know, we, we feel that that's the best way to, to do things. And, but it does, it does make things a little interesting from time to time. And uh, I did not plan to talk about divorce and remarriage and things with Pastor Marshall out of town. That was not the, uh, the idea. I'm not trying to get my way here and think through, you know, my way of things or anything like that. And I have actually conferred with him, made sure that we're on the same page on all this because um, I wanted to be sure of that. But, and, and the reality is I asked Dr. Fan if he would preach this for us, and he said no. So, uh, <laughs> Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. And um, let's pray. Let me pray. I'll ask the Lord to bless our time here. Our Father, we need you in this hour. We pray that you would... Bless our time in your word this morning. We thank you for it. Lord, your word tells us that all of Scripture is profitable. And Lord, we we rest in that. God, I, I pray that you would see this message to hearts today where it is most needed. That each of us, Lord, where we need to respond, would respond appropriately. God, guard my words that I would say nothing that you would not have for me to say, that I would say nothing that your word does not say. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have to think that most, of, if not all of you, have probably seen the billboards on I-77 going north, going south. Uh, I think they're both ways. And, and I, don't, I don't even know, and I wouldn't even say it if I did, what law firm they are advertising for. But the billboard says, life is short get a divorce, right? Have you seen those? Some of you don't go up to Charlotte. <laughs> um, life is short, get a divorce. And, and, and that is the unfortunate state of our culture today, where, where law agencies can advertise that way and, and think that that's actually a good thing. Like that's actually gain <clears throat> that's actually gaining them some some street cred that they can they say things they're edgy. Life is short, get a divorce. A culture today that 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 has completely disregarded the the sanctity and the permanence of a covenant that is made before God, before others, and a covenant that is intended 
to be for life. It's no secret that divorce rates today are very high. Approximately 50% of, divorces, of, of marriages today in the United States end in divorce. And, and sadly, that, that 50% rate holds up even among the evangelical church today. And the sad reality is that our, our culture's ideas and, and thinking about divorce, about marriage, about, as we'll discuss here shortly, children, and really you can th- fit anything in there. Our culture's ideas and, and their ways of thinking about these things have, has found their way into the church today. Have you ever found yourself becoming slightly dulled in your thinking about cultural things that are going on, cultural issues, where you see something and you think maybe something along these lines, it, it, maybe it comes in the form of comparison. Well, I, 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 compared to everybody out there, I am not as bad, right? Or maybe something like, I don't think blank you might think something along these lines. I don't, I don't think that, and you insert the, a, a sin that is clearly a sin in Scripture, but, but a sin that, that the media and our culture have been working tirelessly to defend. I don't think that thing is really that bad. Is it really that big of a deal? And I'm certain that, I'm certain that to some degree, all of, our, all of our thinking has been affected in some way by the sinful and God-denying culture that is around us, that is working so hard to get us to deny what the Word of God says. But of course, our, our culture is not an excuse. I don't present all that this morning and say, well, you know, we're just a product of our environment. No. The truth is that, that, that we have truth. We, we have it right here in our Bibles, in the Word of God, that God has given us truth right here in Scripture. And and Jesus teaches us the right way of of thinking about these things. I had a conversation just last week with someone, and they were telling me about about one of their children and how their their friends have been influencing them and talking talking to them, talking about how, hey, hey, you know what? It's really this, this sin. It's just not really that big of a deal. The Bible speaks truth to our lives where we live right now. It tells us about marriage. It tells us about divorce. It tells us about children. It tells us about, we have, according to 2 Peter 1, 3, all th- everything we need for life and godliness. It gives us all things. Amen. And the Bible speaks truth to our lives where we live right now, and we need its truth more than ever in our culture today. I'd like us to see, first of all, that God's Word provides instructions for us about marriage and divorce. We read this this morning, and again, you might be wondering, why, why pick a passage like this? And again, this is just where we happen to be in the book of Mark, talking about Jesus is, is on His way now for the final time, making His way down from, from he, he was in the region of Capernaum, which is around the Sea of Galilee on the northern shore, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. He is now making His way, His journey, for the final time to Jerusalem. This is, we are moving towards the passion of Christ. Let's look at verse 1 together. Then He arose from there 
and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and multitudes were gathered to him again as he was accustomed, and he taught them again. One translation says that the crowds converged on him. We see here Jesus teaching the multitudes as he has done before, and as he will continue to do, and everywhere Jesus goes, this is what he is doing. He is teaching. This, this, the, the crowds are converging on Jesus, descending upon him. And I, I don't mean this to be irreverent in, in any way at all, but, but Jesus in our day, I mean, if, if Jesus existed today, Jesus would be considered a celebrity. Okay? Jesus was a celebrity of the first century. He, everywhere he went, if there was paparazzi at the time, they would have followed him. He would, everywhere he went, people were flocking to him, seeing him, doing, seeing what he was doing, noticing that, that what he was teaching. But again, see what Jesus, it's, and, and the text really emphasizes this by using the word again twice. It says, the multitudes were gathered to him again. As, as in, this isn't the first time this has happened, and it won't be the last. And it says, and he does, and, and what, as he was accustomed, he taught them again. Jesus is still teaching. Even in these final weeks leading up to his passion, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. He has begun his journey towards Jerusalem to go to the cross. And, and yet, even, even in that situation, we find Jesus still ministering, still serving, still teaching. Jesus is teaching the multitudes. Look at verse 2, where we'll see that Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. And we'll see this really in, in the... In the in, in, I put this on your outline here. It's, very, it's a little bit comical to me, actually. The Pharisees, verse 2, came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? So the Pharisees are testing Jesus here. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, you noted that, that the same word that Mark uses here is used for testing, that the, the testing that Satan did back in Mark chapter 1. What kind of testing was that that Satan was doing? He was tempting. Jesus, Satan was tempting Jesus back in Mark chapter 1. Same idea. Mark uses the same word several times throughout the Gospel of Mark, always in reference to either the, Satan in, in, in chapter 1 or in several other places, always to the Pharisees. So we, we, it makes it, he makes it very clear that Mark, they're not simply giving Jesus a test. They, they are tempting him. They are trying to get him to say something that, quote, he's not supposed to say. So verse 2, the Pharisees came and they asked him, they said, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They are testing him. They're trying to trip him up. Now, as we talk about these things, I think some context is helpful as we understand this, what, what the Pharisees were thinking, what, they were, you know, what, what was their mindset about, about divorce, about these things. Um, there were two schools in, in Jewish thought at this time. To, in the, in, among the rabbis, the rabbinic schools, there were two schools of thought. One, one of the schools felt that the only acceptable reason for divorce was in the case of adultery. But the other felt that a man could divorce his wife for basically any reason he wanted at all. And if you've heard this before, you may have heard that, it, and, and it's in print, that they could divorce for up to really anything, uh, including a wife burning dinner, okay, basically. Um, Basically, if he found any kind of thing in her that he did not like at all, including if she burned dinner, um, she could get a, you could get a divorce. He could file. And again, primarily it was the man who was thought of in the Jewish culture. It was not completely unheard of for a woman to, to seek a divorce from her husband, but it was primarily the men who would seek a divorce from the wife. 
And that's why the Pharisees ask him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What does Jesus say to them? Jesus returns their question with a question. And it's not clear which group these Pharisees belong to, um, but either way, Jesus answers their question with a question. He says in verse 3, He answered and said to them, "What, What did Moses command you? So Jesus now turns it back on them. And instead of answering their question directly, immediately, which he will in a moment, he tests the Pharisees. And he says, what did Moses say? And in their response, they reference what I noted it on your, on your outline, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And primarily, it's really about verse 4, or about verse 1, excuse me, which says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends, it, sends her out of his house. And it's followed by some, some provisions that were given in the Mosaic law for the case of divorce. But the point that they are making is that Moses said, hey, write her a certificate of divorce. No problem. So Jesus said, they, they say to Jesus, is it, is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus says, well, what does Moses say in the law, right? And they say, well, he says, you know, write her a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. But look at verse 5. Jesus says, now, now hold on. Wait a second, Okay. Was, was Moses, let me ask you, was Moses giving that as like a, hey, you just do this, no problem? Or was he giving this as a, as a, a little bit of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What is it? No, no, like, like he, a concession. Thank you. I don't know who said it. I don't think anybody said it. My brain said it. A concession, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that. It's probably in here somewhere. Um, this is tough stuff, folks, all right? Um, Moses was giving this as a concession, right? He wasn't saying, this is an ideal. Hey, this is a good thing. Moses is saying, if it has to happen this way, then okay, you you write a certificate of divorce. But Jesus in his response, look at verse 5, Jesus answered and said, because of the hardness of your heart, okay? Moses said this because, because your hearts were hard, he wrote you this precept, It's not because Moses was saying, hey, it's no problem. He says, it's not really the way it was intended to be, that Moses made this provision because of your hardness of of heart, as one commentator said, it was due to human rebellion against the divine ideal. It was a concession. There it is. It wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's desire. And to make this clear, Jesus quotes from both Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, in Genesis 2, 24, 1, 27, God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. How? Male and female created he them. Again, in our culture today, what a concept, right? 2, 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The divine instructions were given here prior to the law. Jesus is teaching the multitudes. He rebukes the Pharisees for their hardness of heart in this section. He's going to teach the Pharisees, or the, the disciples. They're going to go depart and, and, and have a little bit of a kind of a side powwow, as they often do when they come into the house. We'll see that at verse 10 in just a moment. You know, um, I, I won't ask for a raise of hands here this morning, but how many of you wives have a, have a husband who does not like to ask for help or ask for 
directions. Now, that was always the, you know, ask for help. Direct, you don't, nobody needs that because you have GPS now. You don't have to stop and ask for directions anymore. But, but maybe just directions or help of, of any kind. Again, I won't ask for a raise of hand, but if that's your husband, just look at me knowingly. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, so all of you, yeah. We're not, we're not great at that. Um, sometimes I can, I can think I can go somewhere. Uh, Rock Hill is a very confusing place to drive if you didn't grow, grow up here, okay? And uh, I could give you ex- examples, but I'm not going to push it here. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes I go places in Rock Hill, and I'm, you know, I don't have a problem going to places that I'm familiar with. And if I'm going from a place that I usually am and to another place that I usually go, that's generally not a problem, okay? But, but if I'm going from a place that I'm, like, not super usual at, and, and I go to, to a place that I don't usually go from that first place to the second place, I start having big problems, okay? Uh, I, I, and sometimes I think, hey, I'll, I can get there. I'll find my way. If I get on Mount Gallant, one way or another, I'm going to get there eventually, right? Um, and sometimes I'm right. You know, I can, I can make it on my own without pulling out my phone. And there's like a little bit of an element of pride in that these days, right? Like if I can get somewhere without having to pull out my phone, man, I'm, I'm doing good. And then sometimes I'm, I'm not as right, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't get there as well. And I have to get my, my phone out. But, but how does that end up when I think, oh, hey, I got it. I, I got it on my own. I don't, I don't need the directions. I don't, I don't need to follow the instructions or if you try to build something or, or whatever. It doesn't end up very well. Those who don't follow Christ will, will question God's plan. They will oppose God's plan even. And if you decide to go your own way and, and do your own thing, instead of following God's plan, then trouble will result. Jesus says, what God has joined together, a man and a woman, don't separate. And the disciples, as they very often do, they, they have questions. They're, they're not sure. They want some clarification on this. So again, as they go into the house, they ask Jesus about it, and Jesus teaches them. Look at verse 10. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Adultery. Jesus clarifies here in, in no uncertain terms about the value of marriage. And he reveals in this section what the real problem with divorce is. It's a violation of the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Jesus clarifies with the disciples that divorce is a violation of God's original intention for marriage. And I'll make one clarification here that Mark doesn't include, but it is included in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19. This would be the, the, the position of the church as well. Jesus says in Matthew 19, again, same situation, just Mark doesn't include it here, but verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. And prior in the Sermon on the Mount, 532, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And this is the so-called exception clause. And so based on this pa- these passages, we would hold that divorce is, is uh, it's never ideal. It's never really what God wants, but, but there, it is permissible in, in, some care, in, in a case of marital unfaithfulness. In some occasions, divorce may even be necessary in a situation where a partner has been unfaithful or when one, one of the parties is in danger. And what I mean by this is that 
every situation needs to be handled on a case-by-case basis, that we're not giving blanket statements, um, that much wisdom, prayer, and good counsel are needed in all situations. And I do want to be incredibly sensitive here. Um, I realize that there are many, under the sound of my voice here this morning, that have experienced divorce, that are uh, perhaps parents have, you know, were divorced, uh, perhaps even going through divorce. And please do not hear me saying that you are living in sin if you are divorced, or that God somehow thinks less of you or loves you less if that is where you find yourself. But as anyone who has been through a divorce, I believe, would tell you, divorce is unpleasant, and it is a departure of the divine ideal. And, and again, I do, I do want to be very sensitive to that um, here this morning, and I'll, I'll have more to say about that here in a few moments. In the next section of verses, we find a, a really, uh, actually, we, we group these together because it's very similar uh, patterns that are taking place here, um, where, Je- where Jesus and God's Word um, provides instructions about children. And, and again, we have a similar situation in the, in the first section of verses where the Pharisees were coming to Jesus, questioning him, and needed to be corrected. Here in this section, it's the disciples who need to be corrected in their thinking. We'll see first the disciples rebuking the people that are bringing their, the, their children to Jesus. Look at verse 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Now, why might the disciples rebuke people who were bringing children to Jesus? I mean, why is that a big deal? We think about it. Um, you know, we, we, we can almost kind of understand the disciples' thinking at this point. I, I'm sure you can imagine what's going on in the disciples' mind. They're thinking, Jesus doesn't have time for this, right? Jesus doesn't have time for little kids. Come on. This, this is Jesus, okay? We're, we're, we're making a trip here. We're heading to, towards Jerusalem. He doesn't have time for this. Or maybe Jesus even has more important things to do. Right? And I suppose we can understand that. But Jesus is having none of it. And he rebukes the disciples in verse 14. He says, when Jesus saw it, he saw them rebuking the people, bringing the children to Jesus. Jesus saw it. He was greatly displeased. And it's a very strong word. Greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus rebukes the disciples here. Look back at chapter 9. We have kind of a similar situation where Jesus showing his heart for children. Chapter 9, verse 35. He sat down, called the twelve, said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. We talked about this several weeks ago. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Several times in these chapters, Jesus is showing and demonstrating that he has a heart for children, that he loves children. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, of such, of of children, is the kingdom of God? Surely Jesus does not mean that only children make up the kingdom of God. So what does he mean by this? I believe the idea, just to clarify, that that the kingdom of God, I believe what Jesus is saying is is those, those who are saved, those who belong to Jesus' kingdom, right? The ones who are coming to Jesus and are part of his kingdom, in other words, who are those who are 
saved. And according to verse 15, this, this coming to the kingdom is only available to those who come as a child. Look at verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So Jesus teaches the children or the disciples about the value of children. He says, unless you come as a child, you will not receive the kingdom of God. And I think there's two aspects to this that Jesus is saying here. He addresses the first in verse 15, and he addresses the second in verse 16. But first, Jesus says, again, no one will come into the kingdom, no one will be saved unless you come as a child. If you don't come to Jesus as a child, you will not enter. I do not think that this is a reference, or excuse me, I think this is a reference to the manner in which a child receives the kingdom. Again, verse 16 especially emphasizes the fact that these were little children. Look at verse 16, the word he uses here, and he took them up in his arms. You think about bringing a child into your lap, bringing a child into your small child, most likely. And the word he uses there in verse 16, it could even be infants. Um, He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and, and blessed them. And as you think about small children, you know, what, what do you think about? Humility, um, helpless. You know, several, several ladies in our church here have, have recently had babies, and, and it's a wonderful blessing. And, you know, you, as you think about a, a, a baby, what does that baby need? A lot, right? Everything. I mean, they, they can do nothing on their own. They need food. They need to be changed. They need to be helped to go to sleep. They, 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 they demand a, a, a lot. And, but, but, but what do they offer in return? He took it away. Nothing! They only take... I mean, I do remember this as, as a new dad when we had our first, and, and, and I remember uh, wanting to, to play and, and interact with this tiny little infant and, and wanting to, to blow on her belly and, and make her laugh and, and, and getting nothing. <laughs> Didn't even notice I was there, couldn't even see me, right? I mean, when they're first born, they can't even see straight. They don't even know you're there. She didn't even know who I was. They bring nothing. Nothing to the table. They demand everything, but they don't offer anything. And that's exactly what we have to offer Jesus. Nothing. Why? The, the work's done. Jesus has already accomplished the work. He, he, he went to the cross. He, he took our punishment for us. He had already, he's already done it all. All we have to do is repent and believe and trust in his finished work. That, that's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you try to come to me, say, what do we do as adults? We think, oh, yeah. I mean, I got, I've got stuff to offer, right? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make my presence here known, right? That's what we do as adults. We think we've got something to offer. We don't come to God that way. God says, no, no, no. Jesus says, it, you, you don't come to me like that. You come to me as a child. You come to me in humility, offering nothing. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We have nothing to offer. 
And, and any, it doesn't matter what religion or organization or whatever. If, if, you, if you have to add anything to what Jesus did, yes, Jesus, but I got to do this, 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 and this, right? No. Jesus says, if you don't come to me as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. But I do think there's a second aspect to this as we think about, about children, you know, and, and Jesus, he does have time for them. He, he, he picks them up. He, he holds them. He, he, he actually does more than what they... Look back at verse 13. They brought the children to him asking that he might touch them. Okay, Jesus actually... Several people pointed this out. I never thought about this before. Jesus goes above and beyond that. He doesn't just touch them. He blesses them. He takes them in his arms, touches them, blesses them. The, 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 the parents had only asked him to touch, but he actually does, he goes beyond that. Jesus was not too busy. He didn't consider it below him to, to deal with these children. The Son of God, Christ himself, the Messiah, did not consider it below him. He valued children. As I often do, I'd just like to wrap up with a couple things to hopefully bring this all home for us. Number one, God's love for you will never fail. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Danielle sang this morning, oh, wondrous love that will not let me go. You know, as we, uh, you might think maybe this, what do you, why are you talking about this? This is kind of out of place. But as, as we think about marriage and divorce and, and our own sometimes, uh, very often, imperfect love, it reminds us the love that God has for us is perfect. It will never fail. Let, 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 I think it's a very appropriate thing for us to do, to remind ourselves of his love. And, and, and based on the fact that God's love for you will never fail, that, that, that means a couple things. Number one, that he, he's never going to stop loving you. Number two, that, that God's, God will never love you more than he does right now. I mean, think about that for a second. You know, we, we kind of, we go up and down, right? Our love and our emotions and everything are all over the place, right? God has made the choice, which love primarily is a choice, to love us perfectly. And that means he's not going to love you based on performance. How well you do, how well you don't do, his love never fails. Number two, there is hope for your future. I said I wanted to come back to this. Maybe you haven't followed God's blueprint up to this point. Maybe you have failed. Maybe, maybe someone has failed you. Um, you know, perhaps this has been a tough message. Because you've been thinking, I, I've already, the plans are already off. I haven't followed the instructions. Um, you know, it's been often said from this pulpit that your present and your future do not have to be defined by your past. And the last chapter of your life has not been written. There's great hope in that. You're here right now. God has you right here. Living, breathing, breathing working, serving. There, there's work for you to do. There are things that, that if, if God has you here, then he's got a reason for you to be here. Um, the last chapter of your life has not been written. God uses uh, often even the worst of circumstances for his glory. Based on 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, which says that there is always a way of escape. That, that means that you always have the choice to do right. That you are never going to be in a situation where, again, your, your past and your past, your past is in the past. But your present and your future don't have to be determined by your past. 
And, and you always have the choice today in your present to do what's right, and that'll change your future. You, you, can ch- you can make the choice to do what God says, to follow his instructions, and whether it's anything, marriage, divorce, children, whatever it is, the Bible says something about it, and you can choose today to follow his instructions. I don't have to tell you what that is. That might be, I mean, there could be any number of things in your life today where you, you know that you have not been doing what God says you ought to do. You can make the choice today. You can say, you know what, today I'm going to start following what God says I need to do. I'm going to stop going my own way. I'm going to stop doing what I think I should do, what, my, what our culture thinks I, I should do, what my heart has been telling me I should do. No, I'm going to start doing what God says I should do. I'm going to start following his instructions. There's so much hope in that. Because you, you, you can change your future just doing the right thing today. You always have the choice to do the right thing. Every single time you can do the right thing. There's so much hope in that. If you have the privilege of being married, then then guard your marriage. It is a sacred gift. It is a covenant that you have made before God. If your marriage needs help, then get help. We would love to help. We're not perfect either. But but we would love, we have have counseling and and marriage counseling and, and folks here that would love to help you. Don't wait until it's too late. There is great hope to be found in the Word of God and following what God says a marriage should look like. No one is beyond that hope. You know, related to the second part of our text this morning, you know, see, see kids and see children how God sees them, how Jesus sees them. You know, love kids, love your kids, love other people's kids. If you don't have kids of your own, you can love mine. You know? <laughs> I love them more than I thought was possible, but they can always use more. Um, you know, don't see kids as a, as a nuisance. As a, as a, just a constant, like, oh, you know, burden. That's how, that's how our world sees kids. Our world has gotten so far off on, on children. They, they, they either see them as a constant burden or they elevate them to this position of such prominence that was never intended. Just love them. Have time for them. Love children like Jesus did. He cared for children. And lastly this morning, if you have never received Christ... If you've never joined the, the kingdom of God and come as a child saying, I've got nothing to offer. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, your work is already done. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone to be saved. If you've never done that, then, then, then would you do that today? Don't come on your own terms. Come, come on his terms. Come as a child. I've got nothing to offer. Don't delay a decision that affects eternity. And several years ago, I was, I was putting together a um, piece of furniture. I think it was a dresser. And it was one of these dressers from Ikea, which everybody knows. Uh, there's no words, right? The instructions are just pictures. Um, so they're not, they're not always the most helpful. Um, and, it, you know, maybe Swedish people are really good with that stuff. I don't know. But if you're not Swedish or, and you're not of a supreme intellect, um, those directions can be difficult, uh, and I'm neither. So I was getting along okay, but I remember I was getting close to the end. I was putting this thing together, and, and I, I remember, I, I, I think I got a piece, and I did it the way it said it was supposed to be done, but it was backwards, Right? 
And it was not the good kind of backwards, like, oh, I can just hide that on the bottom of the dresser, right? Like, oh, it's fine. It'll just be tucked away down there. No, it was like front and center. It was going to be very obvious that I had, had, had really messed it up. And, and so I was getting close to the end at this point, and, and I realized, man, what I'm, I'm going to have to take this whole thing apart. And basically, I'm going to have to start over. Now, now, what happened? Of course, I looked back, and, and I was following the directions. I wasn't trying to do it on my own. But, but I looked back, and I, and I was like, oh, right there. I missed that little tiny thing they had on the picture. I didn't switch that just the right way. And in order to fix it, I had to go back all the way to the beginning. What happened? Well, I, I failed to follow the instructions. Uh, as we think about instructions, again, I, I don't know what the need of your heart is. I don't know if it's related to anything that's even in this passage, but, but you know, are you following what God says? Or are you just kind of doing your own thing? I don't know if you need to repent, trust Christ today, recognizing there's nothing you can do to earn salvation on your own. I don't know if you need to ask God to help you correct your thinking about your marriage, your family, your children, perhaps something else, to infiltrate your mind with God's word, purge your mind, saturate yourself with what he says. Whatever it is, I, I pray that you will respond to God appropriately today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have given us instructions, Father. I, I, I don't know the needs of every heart here this morning, um, but I know that we all need you, and I know that we all need your help in our lives, because all of us have problems, all of us face difficulty, and all of us are tempted to, to, to go and do our own thing, to follow our own way of doing things rather than what your word tells us to do. So God, I pray that you would give us the grace to, to, to see what you say, or to follow your word, to follow your instructions and do what you have us to do. I pray for grace. Lord, I, I don't know what's going on in every heart, in every family, every marriage, Lord, but you do. So I just pray that you would speak truth to each one.